Welcome into NSN Daily, brought to you by the Dolan Auto Group. Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. Uh, if you are a fan of one team, you're very happy. If you're a fan of another, you're not. I would imagine that the productivity and uh, amount of people that have called in sick in mm -hmm. Kansas City and San Francisco are uh, probably up a little bit. Today. I think, you know, this was a mailbag question, and, and maybe we'll save it for the mailbag, that should the day after the Super Bowl <laughs> be a holiday? Mm -hmm. Yes, it should be. And as bad as it is to come to work the day after the Super Bowl, it's even worse coming to work the day after the Super Bowl when your team loses the Super Bowl mm -hmm. and your team blows a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl. It was a little extra hard to get out of bed this morning. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, exactly. Not exactly. Lie. We, we see the, the gentleman in the middle with a bit of a smirk today. <laughs> I, uh, uh, actually, I saw Chris in the parking lot. I, I said, great, this is, you're the first person I get to see. I get to run into. Today. And he goes, actually, he goes, like, I was kind of rooting for the Niners. I was, kinda, yeah. Is, uh, did you feel a little bad? No, I didn't feel bad, but I did have a 49ers fan at our house, and he's a super nice guy, Glenn Dawson, a big 49ers <laughs> fan. And, you know, I'm not going to root against the guy who was living and dying with his team in a championship <laughs> game because I've been there. I've, yeah. I've watched the Dodgers get so close and not make mm -hmm. it, and I know that feeling. So to have that double-digit lead with 10 minutes to go and then end up losing by double digits, it's just, you know, you had it right there for you, yeah. uh, and then it was just taken away. And that's, you know, how football games are nowadays. Mm -hmm. You look at the NFL, one or two plays, one or two calls, and it changes who wins the yeah. game. And unfortunately for 49ers fans, it, it just wasn't their day on this given day. Should I reevaluate my decision? So, you know, I was such a, a just a real jerk uh, <laughs> during during the, the last couple of, of runs uh, in the playoffs when it came to the Dodgers. I was a real jerk, especially to Julian. Should I reevaluate that? Because I, you know, I, I think I don't think I'm going to change. I think I deserve some of the punishment I got back uh, for for all of the the hazing I've given both of you about the Dodgers. Did do I deserve to feel bad today? Like I don't know. I, I'm I, I'm still conflicted. For me, it's not that San Francisco lost, it's the way they lost. Yeah. And uh, to literally have this game um, one or two plays away from it literally being um, over, where San Francisco yeah. could have pushed, uh, you know, pushed and, and got beyond. Um, I, I look at this and go, you know what, was it Kyle Shanahan? Do you put it on the, on the head of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo? Where, where do we think this, or was it just, I mean, give credit to the Chiefs. They, mm -hmm. they, they capitalized and they made plays when they had to, but San Francisco could have taken them out of this game and, and yeah. could have done it. I think I think there's there's so many ways to look at this. I mean, there like Chris said, you make a couple plays, maybe you don't get a couple of calls. Uh, I am a little upset with with some of the calls that were made by the officials, but I can't sit here and say the 49ers lost this game because of calls. The offensive PI against Kittle at the end of the first half, I was really unhappy with that call. There was a few in the second half that I was kind of blown away by. Uh, that weren't called. But again, I, I'm going to kind of look at this as the Chiefs, they made plays when it mattered. And as much as I can sit there and, and blame Kyle Shanahan and, and say Jimmy Garoppolo didn't do enough and all these different things, in the end, my mindset is, is, is dang, this was a really good Kansas City Chiefs team mm -hmm. that hung in this game and they did what they've done all year and especially down the stretch in the postseason is when they were down, they don't give up. And this is such an explosive offensive team that if you let a team like that hang around, like the 49ers did, they let them hang around and did not put them away. Uh, I, I give a lot of credit to Andy Reid and the Chiefs. I think that that was a, an impressive performance for them uh, down the stretch to make big plays both defensively and especially, obviously, on the offensive end to, to come away and come, and come back against the Niners. All right, let's hear from the Super Bowl 54 champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. We have an ability as a team, not just an offense, as a team, 
to figure out what the other team is doing, put our foot in the ground and say enough is enough. And when you got a, when you got a band of brothers that, are, that, are, that come together for one goal and, uh, and, and are determined and go out there with a sense of urgency to, to, to get things done, um, it's special, and that's what we keep doing. And we showed it throughout the playoffs, and we showed it even more tonight. I had two goals when I became the starting quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, and the first goal was to win the Lamar Hunt Trophy. I wanted to bring it home, the one that has our founder's name name on it. I wanted to bring it to this family and this organization. And the second most important thing was to get Coach Reed uh, uh, a Super Bowl trophy. I mean, he's one of the greatest co coaches of all time. I don't think he needed the Lombardi trophy to, to prove that. But just to do that, I mean, it just it puts all doubt uh, doubt aside. And he's going to be listed as one of the all-time great coaches in history whenever 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 he wants to be done, which I hope is not a, not anytime soon. Guys, uh, just last year losing to the championship game, I think the effect that had on the guys that they they felt it getting that far and then being that four inches off. And it wasn't D Ford. It was all of us. I mean, we were all four inches. We could have done four inches better. And so this offseason, you know, they put their mind to it, and, and um, as did the coaches and everybody up their game. And, you know, this is the result. I mean, it's – it's phenomenal. I'm not sure it's all sunk in, but it's uh, it's awesome right now. Yeah. Uh, I I can only imagine what it's like at Kyle Shanahan's house today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, been there with uh, well, with what happened to the Falcons as a coordinator there, and then now here. Um, did he clam up on play calling late in this game? I mean, uh, they've been able to run the football. Mm -hmm. uh, even even you look at that that last possession where. You know, Moser goes for five yards, and they yeah. literally got this Chiefs defense, which is very, very good, um, on its heels. Yeah. And and then suddenly, incomplete. They average over six and a half yards a carry. That was the surprising part yeah. to me. I mean, you only carry the ball 22 times, and you throw it 31 times yeah. when the Chiefs have a pretty clear weakness. That couldn't have been the game, game. plan. Yeah. Right? And so, I mean, games unfold certain ways. Right. Um, but he put the game into the hands of Jimmy Garoppolo, mm -hmm. and I think if you're the Chiefs, you'll take that. Mm -hmm. I think we've been talking about that the entire season is – you know, the 49ers, they don't have a – Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's not a Pro Bowl-level no. quarterback. He's not a quarterback who you do not want – Not right now he's not. Yeah, no. he, you yeah. don't want him dictating your fate when right. your defense is so good, when right. your run game is so good. And they kind of put the game in his hands. And you saw, I mean, they're down four, third and ten. They have a deep ball that's not wide open, but it's open. Yeah. Like, you know, Patrick Mahomes hits that. Yep, he Tom Brady hit that. hits that. Yeah. Drew Brees hits if he that. Hit, if he hits that, they win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that, that was the difference in yeah. the fourth quarter mm -hmm. is you had Patrick Mahomes who did make a couple of mistakes yep. with the interceptions and the 49ers didn't mm -hmm. really, they cashed in one, they didn't cash right. in the other. Uh, the quarterback play was just better for the Chiefs when the game was on the line. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's why I think a lot of people were picking the Chiefs because yeah. when you looked at the two quarterbacks, it, it wasn't an even battle And there. oftentimes in the Super Bowl, it's going to come down to that last drive. Mm -hmm. It's going to come down to that last drive and is your quarterback going to make a play? Right. Do you have an Eli Manning? Or do you have a guy that's not going to make the play? Do you have a Tom Brady? Do you have a guy that can handle that moment? And I, I think I would probably, I think to answer your question before, like who's the onus on more here? Like do you blame Garoppolo more or Shanahan? I think I, I look at the head coach because I, I do think he clammed up a bit. Mm -hmm. I, don't think, I don't think they executed the play calling in this game the way that it was envisioned going into it. Um, and I felt like it was such a contrarian mindset where when the Niners had a chance to get the ball back with two minutes at the end of the first half and go and try and score, that their decision was basically, we're just going to be happy to go into halftime 10-10. to 10. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a penalty and some other things happened where the Niners then got themselves in a position to actually go try and score, and they did and, until that play got called back against George Kittle. 
But that was the mindset is we're not going to chance giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. So if they were so unwilling to basically trust Jimmy Garoppolo to run a two-minute offense at the end of the first half, why all of a sudden do you change that mindset in a position in the fourth quarter where you don't really have to throw the football? And when your run game is going so well, it's hard for me to say why you'd go against that. George Kill had four catches for 36 yards. Your best offensive weapon through the air is George Kittle. And we were watching this in, in the office before we came down to the set. There are a number of plays where Kittle is wide open. And I'm, I'm not standing behind there mm -hmm. getting, getting rushed mm -hmm. by these 300-pound monsters. I'm not back there. But when you see a guy like that wide open, you could see the body language of Kittle multiple times just kind of going, what are you looking at? So mm -hmm. uh, that, that was one of the things to me, too, is that, you know, at times you could see the offense was, all right, we're going to make, we're going to put a wrinkle in here a little bit, the little touch pass from, from behind the line of scrimmage to create something, but, uh, but not finding Kittle, mm -hmm. I think, really stung San Francisco. Do you feel like, do you look at it, Chris, as did the Niners screw, did they blow this game at the end, or did the Chiefs make enough plays to win it? How do you look at it? No, I think the Chiefs made enough plays. I mean, you talk about the first 50 minutes of the game, I think the 49ers defense was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. They didn't give up the big plays. This Kansas right. City offense is all about the big, big plays. plays, and they yep. got so close, you got a third and 15, and Tyree Kill gets that big play. I actually yeah. yelled when that play happened and woke up a four-year-old baby that was napping, <laughs> oh, no. uh, which was very bad on my part. <laughs> but that, they for, Sit down, Chris. <laughs> for 50 minutes, like they were doing everything yeah. you needed to do to win this game, both on offense and on defense, mm -hmm. and they just couldn't hold for that last 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Kansas City finally got the explosive. So yep. while we can blame Kyle Shanahan, it, it was working up to that point. Yeah. He was playing a little conservative, yep. but he was trusting his defense, defense, and his defense was cashing the checks mm -hmm. until the very end. And that yeah tends to happen because your pass rushers get tired, mm -hmm. your secondary gets tired, and they're just so good yeah. that you're going to have one or two little flubs and they're going to take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for the 49ers, those did come. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, they, for the first 50 minutes, the defense was phenomenal mm -hmm. because it's really hard to make Patrick Mahomes look like a average quarterback who's just taking checkdowns. Yeah. And that's what they were doing the entire game until that third and 15 play to Tyreek Hill. More importantly to a lot of people was the battle at halftime. <laughs> Who won halftime, ladies and gentlemen? Shakira and Jennifer Lopez. If there was a roof, they would have blown it off that place. Uh, there's a really, really easy answer to this, Brian. America won the halftime show. They were fantastic. They were great. <laughs> Every red-blooded male from the ages of 12 to 100 uh, won halftime. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a great show. I think mm -hmm. they did it. I think it brought so much of the Latin flavor, you know, for me, somebody that spent so much time in my life in Miami yeah. and, and understanding that culture and in South Florida and, and to see these two powerful women uh, and all these other, the other dancers. To me, it was the most compelling halftime show I've seen since Lady Gaga. And I mm. thought she had a great halftime show and everyone talks about, you know, Prince and Purple Rain in the rain in Miami as one of the legendary performances. But in an age when it's so hard for me, I think, to impress, to impress an audience, I think, I think they did a phenomenal job. Great. There are a lot of uh, boomer age people who seem a little upset that yeah. it was a little too tawdry. <laughs> little that they were a little bit like, what did they expect though? You're talking about Miami. You're talking about two people who are known for their dancing. And, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I'm a big Shakira fan, so I would yeah. put Shakira having the win there. But I would mm -hmm. agree with Alex that everybody really is the winner. But I mean, she's playing I, I'm guitar. I'm a fan of the like, uh, oh yeah, and the, the, whatever the red hair she's got going on. <laughs> I think. She really nailed it. 31-28 final, Shakira wins. <laughs> That's what happened there. Shakira's 43, J-Lo is 50. Yeah. Oh, my god. Congratulations goodness. to those wow. two ladies for Unbelievable really halftime show. I thought you know, it was, it was funny, fantastic. though. I was, I was sitting there, and Julian was at, at uh, the house. We were watching it. 
and he's talking the whole game. During the halftime show, he didn't say a word. <laughs> he was locked I mean, in. He was shaken up. He was shook, huh? He was truly shaken up for about 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Julian Delgadio, always always fun for a punchline. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I, I just, it was, you were kind of blown away. You yeah. Were just, that the spectacle of it because uh -huh. she didn't know how they were going to do it okay and come out and you play her hits and you mm -hmm. play her hits and uh and i thought i thought it was great i yeah. think for me to put a bow on this whole thing it, it it again it's hard when the team that you want to win loses in the super bowl but it was a great game mm -hmm. it's a great football game it was a great spectacle i thought it was a really good show you know it was the most i mean anytime your team's in it you're going to enjoy watching it more it stings it's going to sting and you're going to look back and think about so many of those things but it was. We wanted to see a good game. Yeah. We thought it was going to be a really good game that was going to come down to the end, and it did, and, and it, it delivered. I, I saw online, and I had no idea who these two people were that were performing with Shakir and J-Lo. <laughs> Bad Bunny and... Uh, uh, Jay Balvin. I knew Balvin. who Jay Balvin was. was Bad Bunny recently. was not my... I did not know who Bad Bunny was. <laughs> did, did you know, know were you no, a, was a little, Bad Bunny I was, guy? I was a little disappointed we didn't get to see Pitbull. Yeah, how does Pitbull not guy. go? How, how does how does Pitbull get demoted to the pregame show? He gets to the pregame show with Rob Riggle. <laughs> I mean, I guess you got to kind of kick it off with. I mean, Pitbull really gets the party started. Yeah, yeah. But how does he not make halftime? I don't know. Disappointing. Disappointing. Maybe the <laughs> most is that the most disappointing part of the part of the day. Part of the day. <laughs> no, the Niners lost. That's the most disappointing part for me. Hey, man, what is it? Uh, the only energy I'm allergic to yeah. is a negative energy. Negative energy. <laughs> yep, that's Pitbull. <laughs> Coming up next here on NSN Daily, a rough weekend for Nevada women's and men's basketball against Boise State. We'll have uh, full wraps of that coming up next. <music> NSN Daily rolling on on a Monday, brought to you by the Dolan Auto Group. Uh, Nevada men's basketball, uh, not exactly the week they were hoping for out on the mm -hmm. road. Uh, you were up at Boise State where they fell 73-64 in this one. Um, Made their runs. I mean, mm -hmm. they were getting run out of the building early on in this one. Yeah. Closed to win just a few points and just couldn't get over the hump. You know, it, it was just another case where their offensive problems during a stretch in the game, to me, I, I, it made it very challenging for them to win. I mean, they had scored eight points in the first 12 minutes of the game uh, and just could not get into any kind of rhythm. They weren't taking it to the basket. They were settling for bad shots. Uh, and meanwhile, Boise State was, was playing great basketball, and they were knocking down uh, their outside shots. Nevada did well uh, to hang in the game. They were down 22 and then got it down to 15 with a 7-0 run. At the end of the first half, they carried that over into the second half and went on another big run and eventually made it a one-possession game. Went from down 22 to down only three, um, and, but then just could not make the plays they needed to down the stretch. But again, it to me, it started with this is a team that cannot have these kind of droughts and in these games we've seen where they don't score for an extended period of time they've done it uh, in several games they're, they're not good enough to overcome when they just cannot score for that long of a period of time and you know when they're going to shoot one for ten from three in the first half that's it, not going to work it's not going to work and, and get it get the job done on the road they're going to have these droughts though i mean yeah. you look at it they had two offensive rebounds there were right. 28 uh, opportunities to get an offensive rebound, they grabbed mm -hmm. two of them. They yeah. got to the free throw line seven times, right. and that didn't just happen in this game. That yeah. happens every game. Yeah. They don't get offensive rebounds, nope. they don't get to the foul line, and they don't create turnovers. So when they're hitting their threes, uh, they can beat basically anybody. Yep. But when they don't, they can lose to anybody. Mm -hmm. So it's just going to be wild swings. If yeah. they have a game where they're going to you know, nail all their threes, then they're going to look great. Right. 
And, you know, then the first half, they didn't hit any threes, mm -hmm. so they get down by 22. Obviously not having Jazz Johnson is a mm -hmm. huge, huge deal, but they're going to have these wild fluctuations offensively because yeah. they're just so dependent on the three-point ball. And some games those are going to fall, and some games they're not. But they can't manufacture points any other way than the three-point line or Jalen Harris, who, again, was phenomenal, plays all 40 minutes, scores 30 points. But he had no Robin to his Batman on this night. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did Coach Alford touch on... The condition of Jazz Johnson, we know it's the shoulder, it's he the did. same problem. Yeah, he just said it's the shoulder, it's the same problem they had in the summer. Uh, he said they're going to continue to evaluate it. Um, you know, really no direction as to whether it's going to be something he's going to be out for a week or is it going to be a month? I, I, I don't know. I yeah. think my kind of read on it without knowing any inside info is the fact that you're at this point in the season and you have Jazz Johnson who's not 100% and is it worth risking him not only for this year but his future career to have him push through this shoulder injury that he's got right now, or is it better to rest him for a couple of games, or maybe it's just the one game, we don't know, yeah. uh, in order to have him playing when you really need him? Because mm -hmm. the, the bottom line is for Nevada is they're not going to go anywhere without winning the Mountain West Tournament. That's what they're playing for. They're playing to get top five seed and to make a run in the Mountain West Tournament and, and see what they can do and see if they can win and, and do that there. And you can't do that without a healthy Jazz Johnson. They need him to be healthy and ready at that time of year as opposed to early February. And I touched bases with the coaching staff this morning, and they're going to do some more tests today, but I don't think it's going to be a thing where he's going to be out long, long term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw this last year. Grand Canyon, he he runs into a screen with his shoulder yep. and has to miss the South Dakota State game. This is a surgery, mm -hmm. uh, a shoulder, shoulder that has been surgically repaired twice, mm -hmm. including this latest offseason. So he was hitting down on a block, kind of jarred something loose. That kind of explains why he struggled so much against Colorado State. Yeah. And it just didn't feel right coming into the Boise State game. So he's going to have these moments because the shoulder, once you have shoulder surgery, it's never 100% again. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think it's, it's a long-term thing, but with them having to play on Tuesday rather than Wednesday this week, there is a good chance that he does miss the Air Force game, but they'll know a little bit more after they do those tests. Uh, just something that he's going to have to deal with his entire career, I think. All right, Alex had a chance to catch up with head coach Steve Alford after the loss at Boise State. Well, I'm really pleased. I told the guys that uh, you know, we're obviously losing Jazz for the game is one thing, but uh, guys really stepped up. I loved how hard they played. You know, it's another game where you know we get seven free throw attempts and opponent gets 26. You know, one player on their team doubled. Olsen got 14 free throws up, and the most we got as a team was seven. That's hard to win on the road when uh, you're getting pounded at the free throw line like we got pounded, and it's it's frustrating. You know, I think if we look at just Mountain West play, the free throw disparity from us and, and the rest is it's enormous, and it's very frustrating because uh, I thought our guys played hard. I thought both teams played extremely hard. All right, so up next for Nevada, a uh, return home to take on the Air Force Falcons. That's going to be on Tuesday. This will be an 8 p.m. tip-off, so a little later of a tip-off. This will be televised on ESPN2. You can also listen on the radio to uh, John Ramey on the call on uh, 94.5 FM. Uh, Nevada women over the weekend uh, had a big celebration for women and girls in sports day. We'll get to that in a second, but uh, unable to pull it off at home against Boise State. And this is, uh, it was a homecoming for, uh, for um Mallory McGuire from Reno High. Yeah, and she played really well. I mean, she had foul trouble. She fouled out in 19 minutes, but she had 12 points uh, and nine rebounds. And Nevada did get a really good effort out of Amani Lacey. I mean, she scored a career high with 28 points, goes 8 of 14 from the field, gets to the free throw line 14 times. Um, this team is just struggling to get some wins. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they've got some of the good pieces that you want. 
Uh, they just haven't gelled all together. There isn't enough cohesion to go and beat some of these better teams mm -hmm. in the Mountain West. So, uh, you know, they really have peaked under uh, Amanda Levins in the postseason in that Mountain West tournament. The first mm -hmm. two years they've had the opportunity with Coach, uh, and they're going to have to try and do the same this year. They, they're just not going to have a lot of momentum going into it. I yeah. mean, three and eight right now in conference play. Uh, you know, they are competitive in most of these games, yeah. but, you know, pulling out a victory has, has been a different story. They just haven't been able to have whatever that finishing touch is to go out there and walk off the court with a win. It's, it's a really young team. I mean, if you look at this roster, it is almost all freshmen and sophomores. And so you're dealing with a team that is young, and then the experience that they do have is new, and so they haven't played a lot of time together. And like you said, I mean, they're, they're playing well enough to win games. They're playing well enough in spurts to win games, but by and large, they're not doing it for 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and one thing Amanda Levins has talked about is a frustration that she has with the team is the fact that she doesn't see the intensity from them playing hard for 40 minutes. Yeah. She doesn't see the intensity from them when they go to practice. And that's something she's challenged them to say is, look, you're not playing hard enough to go out there and win. And, and we're not good enough to be able to take these moments off and take plays off. And, and so she, there's still a lot of growth uh, to come for this basketball team. We had a chance to catch up with Amanda Levins after Nevada fell at home to Boise State, 83-72. to Yeah, I mean, I feel like both of these last two games, usually you know each other really well and it's kind of grinded out gritty, but um, they didn't. neither one of those games really felt so much like that. It was almost like you played them and you're at a different point in your season and both teams are better at different things. Um, you know, for us, like going on the road, we played Air Force so long ago. We played them at the beginning of December. They've played, you know, a ton of games between now and then. They have new defenses since the last time we played them. Um, but for us, we just really want to take it one game at a time and continue to develop our identity with this group, you know. Um, I'm really pleased with the way Amani and Essence, I thought, led us tonight. I, you know, before Amani's accident, this is the level that she's capable of playing at. So to see her, I think the last three games really come back and um, show what she's capable of, you know, we really miss that. And, you know, Mar was really sick today, and it's not an excuse, but she wasn't her best. But we need other players besides, you know, Essence and Imani to score. We only have two players in double figures. I feel like to win, you got to have at least three, and then you have to have a few people close. So up next for the women, uh, they're going to be out on the road at Air Force on Wednesday, 5.30 p.m. tip. If you want to listen to it on the radio, uh, 94.1 FM or 14.50 a.m. But uh, before the game, there was a celebration, Girls and Women in Sports Day at uh, Lawler Event Center. Always a lot of fun and a chance for young boys and girls to uh, go out and meet some of these the, uh, student athletes. Yeah, it seemed like a really cool event. I know the football team had some people out there as well, so there were a couple of male uh, athletes as well. But yeah, just a good opportunity to go out there and try a few different sports, see what you like, and you know, meet some uh, kind of your idols You know, growing up, just people in the community who uh, you know, maybe know the names of some of these people on the roster would actually get to meet them. And you know, we, we deal with Wolfpack athletes all the time. Mm -hmm. They're some of the nicest people, uh, you know, most open people that, that you'll go with. There's uh, Brendan Bray, the, the swimming coach right there. So oh, being able to put on some pads and throw it around with uh, you know an offensive lineman there so you know just a, re a really cool event and a really good opportunity just to get out there and be active for a little while. It's one of the things I love about living in a city that has a university. When you have a university like the University of Nevada that has athletics the exposure that kids get to be able to be around these college athletes I think is so beneficial to so many people and I mm -hmm. think you know maybe one kid that day had a dream instilled to say you know what I want to be like this person I, I want to go and be a swimmer one day at, at Nevada or I want to go play soccer I want to go play basketball so I think for kids in our community to have those role models to kind of look up to and and 
do all that, I, I think it's phenomenal, and, and especially for girls, and to be able to bring them together and honor that and, and make a day out of it at, at Lawler Event Center, I think it's one of the best things that happens every year. It provides inspiration to, to maybe a, a, a young person who maybe doesn't have that or mm -hmm. maybe wouldn't have had that opportunity get get a chance. When I, when I see school kids at ACES games or school kids, at especially at Lawler Event Center, um, and it's part of a class project or part of a class day, maybe it's the first time they've ever been to campus mm -hmm. and realize there is a fine university in this community and someday you might be able, you can attend that university and, and get your degree. So it's 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 a win-win all the way around. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, he's a good friend of the show and he's taking over a head coaching job in California. We're going to catch up with Austin Byler coming up next. Welcome back into NSN Daily, brought to you by the Dolan Auto Group. You know, it's neat to see athletes come to the University of Nevada out of high school, see them have success, move on into their professional careers, whether it's on or off the field, and, and have even more success that way. And we, we always thought that Austin Byler was going to be not just a great ball player, but a great person after he left Nevada. Yeah, it's been really cool to watch him grow as a person and you know come away from the game. And he has spent the last year really going around and trying to influence the lives of, of, of young kids, high school kids, college kids, and, and you know kind of teach them a lot about what he's learned about the game and the mental side of the game. And now to see that he's going to be a, a head coach at such a young age is, is such an awesome deal. Now the CEO and co-founder of Major League University joining us from Arizona via Skype, Mr. Austin Byler. We wouldn't introduce you so glowingly if we, we didn't have, have you on the show. How you been? What's going on, guys? I've been good. I've been good. You guys are looking good. Uh, let's, the crew. let's talk about Major League University first and explain to people what that is and what was the inspiration behind it. Yeah, so Major League University, our whole goal, I formed it with QB um, Meyer, another one of our Wolfpack alumni back in about I think September of 2018. And our whole goal really in the beginning was to just impact the lives of student athletes through the mental side of the game. And at first we had zero direction. And over the time, uh, we started to get more direction and kind of clarify our vision. And now we're, we're going around a lot of places just trying to make an impact in the game. And I think there's a lot of people talking mechanics and doing the mechanical side of things. But the biggest part of any sport, of anything you do in your life is your mind and what you're feeding it. And that's kind of our whole goal is to impact that through sports and use our platform as, as an avenue for the greater good. How much of that was kind of inspired by Jay Johnson? I know when he took over, he talked so much about the mental game, made you guys take mental reps before practice started. How much did you learn about that, and how much did that change your game? Oh, it was huge, man. I noticed just from the year before, we had a really talented staff. We had Shipley, who obviously first rounder. We had a Tom Jameson, big Tom, and then a Tyler Wells at the time before he got hurt, and they were three dudes, could have been number one on any team in our division. And our team didn't perform very well. I think we won like 25 or 25, 32, something like that. And then the next year, Coach Johnson came in and we had a few different people come in and speak with us. One taught us visualization, a couple of peak performance coaches doing a lot of what I'm doing now with programs. And it changed my life. It totally changed my outlook and not just me, but our team and then the vibe of our team. And the next year we won, I think, 10 more games than we won the year before and had a really good season, not only on the field, but off. And I noticed it in my own game because it sparked it. We started to visualize every game and I used it for the next three years and I hit a ton of home runs and had a lot of success. And then I stopped using the tools that got me there. And I noticed my performance on the field and off the field suffered drastically. So it was a lot of, a lot of uh, influence behind Coach Johnson and just the people that he was surrounding us with and introducing to us to really help us think differently. That's the whole key uh, with this side of the game. And uh, it's it's huge, man. I can't can't emphasize that enough. It's been huge for me, not only on the field but off the field in my life. 
Awesome. Pretend we're one of your groups of kids that you're going to talk to. Give us a taste of, of kind of like what some of the, the, the things that you're trying to equip them with and some of the um, mantras and, and deals that you're trying to kind of spread uh, when you do get a chance to do that. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm firing you up. <laughs> That's, there's no doubt about it. We're getting fired up if I'm coming in there. I, I love firing people up, inspiring them to think differently and to dream big. I mean, my mom always gave it to me from a young age about dreaming and how important that is to have a clear vision for your life and not only what you want to do, but what you want to accomplish. And so for me, the biggest thing I talk about a lot is thoughts, how your thoughts can control everything um, and how they end up turning into beliefs through a little bit of a process. So I always say thoughts determine your decisions, which determine your actions, which determine your results, which end up determining your beliefs about you, your abilities, what you do and bring to the table. So say um, you're thinking negatively and you're thinking at the box, I can't hit, I'm not good enough, I don't belong here. And this happens not only in high school, but college, professional, everywhere in the business world. And if you're constantly thinking about that, more often than not, that thought's going to turn to a belief after a system of decisions and uh, that's a, a little brief overview, but I love talking about how your mind can control everything. Literally what you fill into your mind and what you give attention to and what you don't is going to determine how successful you are. So that's a, a little sneak peek of what it would be. But the biggest thing is inspira inspiration, man, and speaking with passion. That's what I love doing. Austin, uh, you got some great news uh, recently. Uh, you've been named head coach at San Domenico School in uh, the Bay Area that's in Marin County. Um, what's it going to be like now uh, teaching the game and you're going to be able to get your hands on these guys and, and, and show them what, what Bylor Ball is all about? <laughs> Let's get that hashtag on Twitter, man. I'm going right now. Trending up there. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a challenge because I'll be honest, I don't know anything about head coaching. It's a whole new challenge, but I think that's the best part about life is you start equipping your toolkit everywhere you go and everything that you choose to do. And this is going to be a good hands-on experience for me to see how it works over a period of time with athletes and um, kind of under my own belt, having the, the ability to take charge and, and really fully implement this system. And I'm excited, man. They're going to have fun. I told them, hey, this is going to be the most memorable year of your lives. There's nine seniors coming back, I believe. It's a really small school, only 14 kids total in the program. I think 300 at the school of kids in general. So I told them, look, like, I don't care about the wins and losses. The results are going to take care of themselves. The biggest thing is we're going to have as much fun as possible. I'm going to introduce you to people that you may have never thought you'd ever see or meet in your life who are going to hopefully transpire some change and plant the seed early for them to be successful because it's a very uh, academically inclined school. There's a lot of very smart, intelligent kids there who work really hard, but with that comes a lot of pressure from family, from friends, from the people around you. And so my whole goal is to really help them be who they can be on and off the field. And I'm freaking pumped up, man. I can't wait for this opportunity. I feel like all you got to do, Austin, is the first day, just take BP. That's and it. And just, just hit some Byler bombs and they'll go, okay, all right, we got the right coach for the yep. job, I think. Hey, we'll, hey, we'll get a BP. I told him coaches BP twice a week for me. <laughs> we got, got to show that highlight tape against Fresno State and UNLV, some of those walk-offs, I think. Yeah, let's go. Let's get them rolling again, man. <laughs> so what do you think is next for you when it comes to, I mean, you've got the coaching job coming up. You've got Major League University. What's next? I mean, it sounds like you're just trying to tackle the world right now. Yeah, no, I think it's the next step really is looking into the summer, looking into the fall. I've got a lot of really good events set up. Um, as a team, we've done it really hard taking a lot of hard work, man, to get some things rolling. And it's crazy to see how when you start something with just a vision, you have no idea what's going to happen or where it's going to go. And then all of a sudden the pieces start adding up and people start to believe in you and you're able to just keep pushing forward. You're resilient. And 
I think the biggest thing is seeing Major League University start taking off. This year has really transpired some change, man. And the fall had some really good events that we were able to go to, um, kind of just show what we do and, and how we can impact your athletes. And that's sparked a lot of really good things going into this new year. I'm really excited for the spring. And then in the fall, my goal is to be working with, I want to work with over 20 college programs this year. So if that is out there, let's see what happens. I'm excited for it. I'll go anywhere, anywhere. It doesn't matter. I'll go to a corporate, anything. But the speaking stuff, man, Major League University, just kind of expanding our team, bringing more good people on board uh, to help us kind of grow our wings a little bit and keep spreading throughout the country is going to be big time for us. I'm excited for it. One, one last thing, Austin, for you, and this was pretty controversial earlier in our show, talking about it with the Super Bowl. Um, who won the halftime show? Was it J-Lo or Shakira? Oh, it was better than the game. Uh, <laughs> I think Shakira. I'll, I'll be Shakira crushes it. J-Lo, she was incredible doing her thing, but... Uh, Shakira, voice-wise as well, she had the she had the moves. Like, yeah, she brought the house. Austin, America, Bunny, America was the winner. <laughs> America was the winner. America, <laughs> we were blessed with that opportunity. It was a great <laughs> halftime show. Austin, Nothing but two thumbs up. <laughs> thanks very much, man. We appreciate your time and uh, safe travels from uh, Arizona to the Bay Area. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Austin. Thanks for having me. That's the thing, too. I was even going to mention it. You said the state took it right out of my mouth. Was You want to prove to these uh -huh. kids that you're the legit real deal? <laughs> hold on deal? a second. Hold on a second. Let me pick up a bat. Like, what does this guy know about hitting? Right? <laughs> oh, hold on a second. Stand by One stations. sec. One sec. Boom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, always one of our favorites to talk to. Is Austin it's really Byler. been neat, actually, because we've, we've been close with Austin since he finished his days playing in Nevada. And even just watching him evolve, you know, going from wanting to start this major league university and now watching him going around speaking to people and, and – you can tell he's just learned so much over the last couple of years about, you know, you get out of college, and I think a lot of guys are like, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. uh, all I've known is playing baseball, and, and so the fact that he's been able to kind of figure that out and, and do it in a way um, that's helping other people, I, I think is, is just a really neat thing to see. His dad, Barry, Barry first-class guy, too. He's one of our favorites. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we're going to get into the mm -hmm. ring downtown. The fists for flying at the El Dorado We'll show you some highlights from Nevada boxing next. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Yeah, it's one of the programs at the University of Nevada that uh, doesn't get the recognition it deserves. It's not technically, it's a, it is a club sport, but boxing, I mean, you're talking about a team that's won a national championship and many individual national titles and the fists were flying once again at the El Dorado. It's a great time. I think it's cool to see the tradition of what this program brings and, and every year there are people that are competing for national championships mm -hmm. and I, I think it's one of the cool things again you know I talked in an earlier segment about just kind of the culture of Nevada and you have a college town that, but to have college boxing as being kind of a, a part of the identity of sports here in Reno is is, is really awesome and I, and I know um, they're popular events. They're fun to go to, and, and uh, this one was, was no different. McCain Murdoch there on the left. <laughs> yes, taking home the win. This was a rematch from a fight last year. Um, she fought uh, Yamani Nesmith uh, uh, last year. I'm not listing where she – I believe she's Air Force Academy. But, uh, yeah, this was a rematch, and coached right there by Joey Gilbert. Um, Pat Chalene there on the left, who's a longtime coach at Nevada. But, uh, yeah, Britton Murdoch's younger sister, who's a Reno high grad as well, and uh, the son of our friend Rick Murdoch over at the El Dorado. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's spreading. It's one of those things where you can, you know, 
the boundaries are falling. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, the barriers are falling. That, that you, if you want to, as a woman, if you want to fight at the University of Indiana, you want to be a boxer, you can do it. You can get in the ring and do it. Yeah, I mean, the program's history really goes back a long, long time. I mean, you're talking the 1950s, back when it was an NCAA-sanctioned sport. Joe Bliss uh, won uh, Nevada's first national title as an individual. He actually was in the first inaugural Hall of Fame class in 1973. Mills Lane won one the next year in 1960. That was actually the last year the NCAA sanctioned it because, unfortunately, somebody died in the ring of the national championship. So, uh, you know, to be able to sustain as a club sport for literally 60, 70 years, mm -hmm. uh, that, that's because of the support of the community, going out to these events, donating to these events. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, uh, inexpensive to have ring time, uh, to be able to put on events of this magnitude, to be able to travel to all these different places because there aren't a ton of schools that do host boxing. So, uh, you know, it is a great program. Uh, I think if you looked at season tickets, if it were a part of Nevada's actual athletic department, I think it would rank fourth among season ticket holders. So. Mm. Uh, people are really, really excited to support the program, and that's the reason that it still does exist, is because of the community uh, putting in the time, the money, uh, the donations to make sure that it does sustain. Reno's an old-school fight town. I mean, that's uh, you go back to Johnson Jeffries. You can go back into the 80s when, when it was really in its heyday, when you saw you saw guys like Hagler and Hearns mm -hmm. and, and guys like that fight here or Lake Tahoe. So there's, there's a rich rich history with it, but uh, yeah, now we're going to be, of course, trying to uh, cover the national championships that are coming up. Uh, yeah, the regionals here. once again here. Regionals once again. In, in I think Nor it's uh, March 13th yeah, weekend. Second week of yep. March. Second At the week Circus March. Circus. Cool. Um, Wolfpack women swimming and diving had a good weekend as well. Uh, on Friday, they, the ladies took out uh, New Mexico mm -hmm. and uh, only one senior on this team. Yeah, uh, Andressa. This is Andressa right there hugging out Ron Lundin, but uh, yeah, only one senior on this team. They beat New Mexico 189 to 109 and now are getting ready for the Mountain West Championships, which are in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, hmm. uh, I have to talk yeah, to somebody about scheduling. It used to be in San Antonio. Yeah. I'm not sure why they changed that, but it should be really fun. I mean, this is uh, arguably the best sport on campus year in and year out. I mean, this is a, a sport that's finished in the top three of the Mountain West six consecutive seasons. Mm -hmm. They won uh, three years ago. San Diego State's had the upper hand of late. Boise State's always really, really good. So uh, there's going to be three teams really at the top competing for that championship. The diving team for Nevada is always insanely good as well. So, I mean, the Wolfpack goes in there with legitimate hopes of winning a Mountain West championship. Uh, still the only program on the women's side uh, for Nevada to win a Mountain West championship. So, uh, you know, this is a team that, that plays at a different level than a lot of teams in the Mountain West uh, for Nevada just because of, of how good it's been historically and, and how good Brendan Bray has been able to keep it. Yeah, it's been an impressive job by him to continue the rise of the program and, and coming off of that Mountain West title a couple of years ago uh, under Neil Harper, and then he goes to Arkansas, and, and but to continue the tradition and now get it back to a point where, all right, maybe this is the year again we take home a Mountain West championship. Uh, that'll be an exciting deal here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and you can't credit this coaching staff enough for what they've done here. And, I mean, you look at Krista Palmer, who's who's going to be competing for Team USA, and, and of the success that, that she had, Sheree Zhang. I mean, the diving has been incredible. And they're doing it literally without the facilities that a D1 school usually has. I mean, you look at some of the schools you have to recruit against, on the West Coast, you go down to Stanford and they'll host, mm -hmm. they can host Olympics down there. Um, but uh, yeah, they're doing it with literally a pool that's not an Olympic sized mm -hmm. pool. So congratulations to them. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we will take a look and have a preview of the Wolfpack Radio Coaches Show. Who's going to be John Remy's guest this week?
6 o'clock tonight, Bully's up on Rob Drive. If you want to stop by and check it out, the uh, Wolfpack Radio Coaches Show. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's fun to see uh, who uh, Coach Alford's going to roast <laughs> on a weekly basis is, is kind of what this show has turned into. Corey Barnett's going to be one of the guests tonight with John and Amy. Um, great experience with Corey. I mean, played at Indiana and half a dozen seasons at UCLA. Yeah, I mean, and somebody who Coach Alford's very familiar with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he put a lot of emphasis on that uh, when he was building his staff here. There's not a guy who he, he took who he didn't know intimately. I mean, Coach Dwayne, he worked at his camps. Obviously, Coach Neal and him were together for a mm -hmm. decade. Uh, Coach Barnett, obviously a long-term relationship with Coach Alford. His son is on the staff. Uh, Roman Martinez, leading the grad assistants, played for him with the Lobos. So, uh, you know, I think he, he was able to get a lot of guys he was familiar with. And I think when you're trying to put together a staff, that's what you want. You want, uh, you know, guys who you know what you're going to get something out of. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Coach Barnett getting his first opportunity as Division One head uh, assistant coach. Yeah, I got to get to know Corey and his wife uh, down in the Virgin Islands a little bit better and they're just enjoying being in northern Nevada and being a part of this community. And, uh, you know, it's been cool for him, I think, now being an assistant coach as opposed to his time at UCLA where he was video coordinator and director of operations. And it's, I, it's pretty cool to see how many coaches over the years have started under Coach Alford as a director of operations and then been able to move up. There's, oh, excuse me, there goes my IP. Okay. Uh, so there are a few examples of. I <laughs> was loud. I don't know if you heard. Uh, a few examples now, even going back to that matchup with New Mexico, there had been some cases of that. And then, speaking of director of operations, so Aubrey Warkentine is the other guest on the show. And, you know, this is kind of the unsung hero of the program yeah. because there are so many different things that go into this job. Um, and she's done an awesome job with it. Aubrey, on her first season with Nevada, came in with the, the coaching staff as well. Uh, she comes from a, a big basketball family. Her dad, Mark, uh, is a current executive with the Knicks. He spent time as an executive uh, with, with the Denver Nuggets. So I'm sure she has a lot of interesting perspectives about the game of basketball as well, coming from a, a basketball family herself. Yeah, if you want to stop by and check it out, 6 o'clock tonight at uh, Bullies up on Rob Drive. Just uh, swing through. They'll take your questions. And it's always entertaining when uh, Spencer Wilson and uh, John Ramey are wrangling Coach <laughs> Alford. That's tonight, going to be tonight at 6 o'clock. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, some final thoughts, and we're going to try and find Alex's IFB. That's nice. <laughs>
and to win. Do it but, again, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's going to be a long offseason, I think, if you're a San Francisco fan, though. Um, that'll do it for us here on NSN Daily. Thank you very much for being <laughs> with us. Come on, quit smirking. For Come on. Alex Margulies and the smirking Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio.